What a beautiful thing it is when people give their gifts for God's glory. And I just want to say thank you guys for, for blessing us this morning. I just, how awesome to see three drummers up there leading us in worship. That's, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I just want to encourage you that God has made you, God has formed you for His glory. And whatever giftings God has given you, whoever He's made you to be, we can all serve for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Fantastic. You're all going to sign up and, and, uh, and, and volunteer. I just want to say thank you to those that have stepped up to help out with the, the funeral. I was talking to Kim on whatever day that was this week. It's a bit of a blur, but um, I know we're a little short of helpers, and praise God, He provides. And uh, thank you for bringing that provision, those of you who put your hand up. Let's just pray now. God, I, I just thank you for this time. God, we thank you for speaking to us. I just pray, Lord, that you give me your words to speak, Lord, this morning. Thank you for your love for us, for your word, the Bible, that teaches us who you are, what you're like, what you have done, Lord God. We just thank you for, for moving in our hearts, for changing the way we think about things, Lord, even this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I wonder if you've ever met someone who just seemed to think that they were it and a bit. Let's just be honest. Have you ever met someone and you feel like they just thought they were God's gift to the world? Maybe, just maybe, a little bit. <laughs> maybe it was at school. Uh, I don't know if you ever knew anyone. It's like they had all the coolest stuff. They had all the stuff that every kid wanted. And they just believed that they were it and a bit. They were it and everything more than everyone else was because they just thought they had everything. They were the coolest. They were supreme. They thought they were just it and a bit. Maybe it was, or maybe it's at work. They just still have all the coolest stuff. And you go, man, you've still got all the coolest stuff. Maybe it's in your sport and you've, you've gone and you've done your sport, but there's that kid who just always had the latest, coolest, most amazing equipment. And, and they always turned up with a sparkling brand new thing that had been looked after by a professional mechanic if you're a bike rider or, um, uh, or maybe they had professional coaching because their parents had enough money to pay for that coaching and they just, they just thought they were it and a bit more than everyone else. Maybe you've known someone like that. Maybe you've known a Christian who seemed to think that they were God's gift to humanity and we know that he wants us to be the light of the world but we are not the answer ourselves, are we? If you're not sure, you say amen. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. That's a feeling you're really on board with that. It's fantastic. Sometimes I think we can be tempted to take the credit for things that we have no right to take. We take credit for things that others have done for us. I think probably more often than we realize, we are the benefactors of things that others have done that bless us, that have provided for us, that make us who we are today and we do not give them credit or even realize so often. I wonder how often we try and take credit for things that we have no right to take credit for. I want to play a little video this morning. I thought this might stick in your heads and remind you of what I'm going to talk about this morning. And it's, um, it's a really not typical church clip. Um, it's by a group called Dude Perfect, who are a bunch of Christian guys in America that, that do crazy trick shots with basketballs and ping pong balls, and, uh, and they just do it all and, and share their testimony with people. So um, 
without any further ado, here we go. To be, but we can be tempted to take credit for, for things that we have no right to take. <laughs> One, how often we, we, we do that, that we take credit for things that are, are not ours to take credit for. He was so sure that he'd done it. He's just excited. The disbelief on his face on that third one. He's like, are you serious? I actually did it. Wow, I'm the greatest. I didn't even know. No, you're not. Anyway. <laughs> We've been talking about Joseph. And we're talking about from dreams to destiny. And it was God who gave Joseph the dream in the beginning. That he would be that one that the other sheaves came and bowed down to. He would be the one that the sun, moon and stars came and bowed down to. It was God who gave Joseph the dream. It was not Joseph's dream to begin with. And this morning, as we finish, in a sense, this series, it's my last message on Joseph. Mike might tie in a bit of Joseph next week. But uh, as, I, as I finish this message on Joseph, I believe God wants us to, to see that it was him, it was God that took Joseph from dreams to destiny. It was God that gave him the dream and it was God who brought it to fulfillment. The title of my message this morning, I just felt to give this message a title. The title of my message this morning is, God is big. God is big. God is so, 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 so big. My, my hope this morning is that we will have grasp in some way the bigness of God. Because if we can understand just a little bit more how big God is, it changes everything. If we could day by day go through our, our, our day, if we could go through life with a revelation, with an understanding of God's bigness, it would change our attitudes, it would change everything that we, we do in our lives, I think, if we understood the bigness of God. And I'm sure bigness isn't a word, but God is big. He's worthy of new words. He is big. He is so, 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 so big. I want to summarize quickly the last few chapters of Genesis, talking about the life of Joseph in Genesis 42 to 50. Joseph, as we heard last week, is made second in command over all Egypt. Pharaoh says, no one will lift a hand or, or do anything without your approval, Joseph. And then it goes on and it says, his brothers come looking for food. That basically the famine goes on in the land and finally Jacob says to his sons, he says, go to Egypt, go and see if you can buy food and bring it back because otherwise we will starve. And the brothers go to Egypt looking for food and of course they come to Joseph because he's the one distributing the food. But it says they don't recognize him. But Joseph recognizes them. They're not dressed up in Egyptian costume or whatever. Joseph recognizes them. It says, but he treats them harshly. He speaks harshly to them. They don't recognize him. And Joseph accuses them of being spies in that moment. Now, to be honest, I don't, I don't think we know the heart of Joseph in that moment. Maybe he's trying to test their character to find out uh, what are these brothers up to? What are, what are their hearts? Where are they really at? What's happening in my family? Maybe he's testing them. Maybe he's actually just a little bit angry and he thinks, Spies! I'm still angry with you a little bit. Just a little bit. And he... he accuses them of being spies, and he puts them into prison. It says they were put into prison. He says they were going to stay there until his young, their, their youngest brother, which they talked about, Benjamin, came 
to Egypt and he said then he would know that they weren't spies and he'd release them. Eventually after three days, Joseph says, I'll release nine of you, but Simeon, you're going to stay here and I'm not releasing you until Benjamin comes, this youngest brother you say you have, and then I'll release you because I know you're not spies. And it says that the brothers go back to Jacob. They go back to their father and they tell him what happened, that they've been accused of being spies and that Simeon's been kept behind and Jacob just weeps. He says, oh, Joseph's been taken from me. Now Simeon's been taken away from me. And now this man is calling me to, to take Benjamin, my, my youngest son, the brother of Joseph, and, and he wants him to be given up. Now, what am I going to do? And he says, no way. I'm not letting you go back. It's like, Simeon can stay there, basically. <laughs> but finally they get to the end of themselves. Jacob says, we will all die if we do not go back to Egypt for more food. They have nothing. And he says, and, and, and Judah says to his father, let me go back. Me, let me be responsible for my brother's life. I will take Benjamin back. And they, they go back to, to Egypt again. And it says, they have a feast with Joseph. Joseph says, ah, oh, you've brought your younger brother. It's true. Okay, we'll have a feast. And they, it says he, he surprises them by sitting them all in order of oldest to youngest. And they, they feast together. But again, Joseph tests them. It says after the feast, he, he orders that their, their sacks be filled with food and in the top of the sacks, he puts the money again like he did the first time that they brought back after they'd been away the first time. Sorry, I'm summarizing a lot. Um, but Joseph orders one of his, his men to, to put his own silver cup in the top of Benjamin's sack. He says, put it in there and then they leave. And as they, as they leave Egypt, the, the brothers are on their way. Joseph says, go out there, search their sacks. Someone's stolen my cup, bring him back, and he's going to be a slave in Egypt forever. And he goes out, and of course they search the sacks. It's like, oh, what? It's in Benjamin's sack. No way. This is crazy. We didn't do this. And they say, no, jo Joseph has ordered that he must come back and be a slave in Egypt. And the brothers are like, no way. We are not going back to our father without this brother of ours. So they go back to Egypt again. And it says, finally, and I just wonder if maybe Joseph's, Joseph's seeing their change of heart from when they abandoned him to when now they, they, they will not abandon their other brother, Benjamin. And he sees them come back and his heart breaks and he, he just he can't hold it in anymore. And he says, I am Joseph. I am your brother that you left for dead, you sold as a slave. I am your brother. He finally discloses it to his brothers and there's, there's weeping and mourning and there's, uh, just imagine the scene of that moment. And then Pharaoh hears that Joseph's brothers have come to town and he says, ah, invite them, invite your father to come and live with us. And so Jacob, who is also known now as Israel, we've got to remember, is invited with all his family to come and live in Egypt. And Jacob goes, and they move to Egypt. And I think they have no idea what God is doing in that moment. They, they don't see what God is fulfilling through those events. That To Abraham, God has said that your descendants will be prisoners, they'll be, in, they'll be foreigners in a strange land for 400 years. And then after that 400 years, they'll be released with great fame and great fortune. God will um, bless them. But I think in that moment, they had no idea what was happening. 
They had no understanding, they had no perception of the way God was going to use those events for his glory. They, they go there, they, they move there, and it says that uh, in chapter 47 that Jacob lived another 17 years in the land of Egypt. And it goes on to say in chapter 47, they multiplied, the population of the Israelites grew rapidly. And if you go on and read the first chapter of Exodus, it talks about how the, the number of Israelites outnumbered the Egyptians and they began to greatly fear the Israelites. And then we get the oppression and, the, and Moses was raised up. But they had no idea what God was doing, I believe, through those events. I want to look this morning at just a few verses that show Joseph understood that it was God who had caused these things to happen. It was God who was at work through the events of his life and through these things that happened. When he finally reveals his identity to his brothers in Genesis 45, let's just have a read of what he says. His brothers come back and he says, I am Joseph, he said to his brothers. Is my father still alive? It's kind of like it's, you can hear it's bursting within him. He's like, I'm Joseph. Tell me, how's dad doing? How is he? Is he okay? Is he still alive? But his brothers were speechless. They were stunned to realize that Joseph was standing there in front of them. They can't believe it. They're thinking, can this seriously be Joseph, the one that we sold as a slave? Verse 4, he says, please come closer, he said to them. So they come closer. And I just imagine them coming up to Joseph, looking at him kind of like, oh my goodness. It's like, it's actually him. He comes down close. It's like, wowzers, that actually is. That, that's Steve. I mean, that's Joseph. <laughs> and he comes down, they come down close and they're like, wow, how can this be? How has this happened? And he said again, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into slavery in Egypt. But don't be upset. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. It was God who sent me here ahead of you to preserve your lives. This famine that has ravaged the land for two years will last five more years, and there'll be neither plowing nor harvesting. God has sent me ahead of you to keep you and your families alive and to preserve many survivors. So it was God who sent me here, not you. And he is the one who made me an advisor to Pharaoh, the manager of his entire palace and the governor of all Egypt. In that moment, Joseph finally reveals who he is and he doesn't, he doesn't start blaming them and say, you guys sold me as a slave. You planned to kill me. You sold me. And I went through this and this happened and then I got lied about and I got thrown in prison and I was in prison and there I got forgotten and this went on and I was there for 15 years I've been going through this stuff. He doesn't do that. He doesn't blame them and start accusing them and getting angry with them. He doesn't start claiming responsibility either. He doesn't say, guys, you did this. But I have worked, I have done this, and I have tried hard, and despite all the things that were thrown at me, I have overcome. I'm better than you guys. I'm second in command now. You're going to bow down to me like I told you you would. He could have said that, but he doesn't. He doesn't blame. He doesn't claim responsibility. Joseph gives all credit to God. He says, you, you intended this to harm me, 
But God has called me. God has brought me to this place for this time. It is God who has brought me to this place. It is God who brought me here. I wonder when we are tempted to blame others or to claim responsibility for where we have got to. Where we think, I have worked so hard for this, I deserve this because I have done this and this and this and I deserve what I have now. Oh, I wonder when we blame others and say, I should have got this, I should have had that, this should have happened in my life, but that person took that away, that person did this, and now I'm angry and I'm bitter and I'm going to get you back. I wonder where in our lives we might be tempted to do that. To te- even to take credit for what God is doing in our lives what God has done, what He has done in our lives. Paul says in Philippians 2.13, talking about obeying God and honouring God, he says in Philippians 2.13, he says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. You know, it is God who gives us faith. Faith is a gift from God. God is the one who works in us, giving us the desire to, to, to surrender to Him. He gives us the desire to, to live for Him. He gives us the power to do what pleases Him. It is God who enables us to do anything that would honour God. It would, it's Him that is at work in us and through us. It is not by our might or our power or strength. It is by His Spirit that we are convicted of our sin, that we recognize who He is and that we live for His glory. It is God at work. Romans chapter 3, verse 13 to 27 says, We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. It does not matter who you are, how great, how terrible the things you might have done are, For everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in His grace, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of our sins. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice. There is no other sacrifice that we can bring. Jesus is the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. And then skipping down to verse 27, it says, Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. From start to finish, it is about faith in Jesus. It is what God has done for us. It's about what God enables us to do. It's about what He is doing in us and through us. God is the one who makes us right. And we have nothing to boast about other than our weaknesses. Paul says, I boast in my weaknesses so people might see God's grace all the more. So as I I am a filthy, rotten sinner, but Jesus died even for me. I wonder, do we communicate that to those around us, that we recognize that we're sinners simply saved by God's amazing grace? Joseph gives all credit to God. 
because I believe he understood the truth that everything we have is because of God's grace. Everything we have is because of God's grace. Now, God's grace, His grace means unmerited favor. It's undeserved favor. It's divine enabling. It's what God enables us to have, to be, to do. And we haven't earned, we don't deserve any of it. But everything we have is because of God's grace. Absolutely everything. We're singing just before, I came here with nothing but all that you have given me. Do we believe what we were singing? We have nothing that God has not given us. Everything we have is because of God's grace. I think we can be tempted to go back into a, a works mindset. We can be so tempted so often to go back into a works-based mindset that God will bless me because I did this and I did that and I did this, so God will bless me and He'll... he'll He'll do this for me because I've done these things. And we think, this happened to me because, because I did this, so God made this happen to me. And worries me because I've sinned, so God hates me now. We, we, we can so easily subconsciously slip into that way of thinking, but it's not true. God will never leave you. He will never abandon us, like we looked at last week. But we slip into that way of thinking. We think our success is some kind of reward because of our goodness. We think our, our failure or our challenges are, are punishments from God. Now, I, I know there's blessings in, in living God's way. There are blessings in, in living the way God intended. It is good for us. And, and there are consequences of disobeying God's, or God's ways. There are natural consequences of, of those decisions. But it is not by works that we are saved. It is by God's grace. And everything we have is because of God's grace. Matthew 5, verse 45, says this, He causes, God causes, His Son. You know it's His Son? I like that, that, that wording. He causes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You know, God's blessing every single person on this planet every day. And so many don't even notice it. Just this morning, I, I decided to get out of the house for a little bit. I just went for a, a little ride. I, I went racing yesterday. That wasn't so fun, but this morning was fun. I just got out and I just went for a little cruise. And I just went down to the lake and I, I, I was just, just looking around as I rode. And, and you know, I was just riding along. And I'm looking at these little puddles on the road. I'm looking at the sun shining in the puddles. And I'm thinking, wow, even a puddle can be beautiful when you look at it the right way. And just looking at these little shoots of grass coming up in the cracks in the, in the road and thinking, wow, God's creation is amazing. The way life comes up, even through this hard, rocky road, it just, it just breaks apart and life comes through. And I'm down at the lake and I'm just seeing the sun come up over the lake and just the, the water's glistening, there's ducks everywhere, there's birds. And, and it's just beautiful. And God blesses us, every single one of us, with the, a, a world that God has created. Every breath is a gift from Him. The creation He has made just declares His glory to us day after day after day after day. Just look out there now. I can see these little glass out there, like just enjoying the grass. 
God's creation is amazing. He gives rain, he gives sun to the, the righteous and the unrighteous. Psalm 103 verse 8 says, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, God is big. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. God is so good. He is so big. And everything we have is a gift from him. Everything we have is because of his grace. There might be things in your life where you struggle to see how, Andrew, can this be a gift from God? How can this be because of God's grace? I look at Joseph's life and I think, well, I'm pretty sure there's some moments in his life where he's thinking, I don't know, God, I don't understand why this is happening. But I trust in you. I trust in your power. I trust in your, your wisdom. And he knows that God is God. He is the sovereign one over all creation. And as it says, actually, I'm skipping ahead. We may not understand it in the moment, but everything we have, God is able to work through that situation. Everything that happens in our life, God is able to use and, and, and bring about for his glory. I want us to listen to Isaiah 53, talking about Jesus, the Messiah who was to come at that point. Isaiah 53, verse 2 to 6. He says this about Jesus. My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. Deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. And I know we weren't there at that moment, but I'm sure there's been times in our lives when we turned our backs on him and did not care. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have, got, have strayed away. We have, all, we have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He has taken our punishment. Through all that Jesus endured, some scoffed and said, Ha! You're the Messiah, are you? We'll save yourself. They thought he was being punished for his insanity, claiming he was God. And yet people did not realize the glory that was going to be given to God through that crushing that he went through. I want us to listen to Joseph's words. After Jacob's death and the brothers begin to get worried about what, what Joseph's going to do, it's like, our father's dead. Now he's going to get us back. 17 years later. They've been in Egypt for 17 years and 
Finally, their father dies and, and they're, they're afraid again. They're thinking after 17 years, they, they still haven't understood Joseph's heart. And listen to what Joseph says in Genesis chapter 50. Whoops, that's not it. Do we have Genesis chapter 50 there? Yes, we do. But Joseph replied, Don't be afraid of me. Am I God that I can punish you? You intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. That's a big statement, the all bit, isn't it? I wonder if we can see in our life, God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. Joseph said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it all for good. So I could save the lives of many people. I want to say this about Joseph. I believe he saw God's plan. Joseph saw God outworking his plan. Joseph saw God at work. He could see that it was God who was moving through the situations he went through. He recognized that it was God's plan. It was his dream, and it was God who was bringing that dream into destiny. You could almost say it was for the joy set before him, Joseph endured what he went through. I don't know if he had the, the fullness of joy that Jesus had, but he recognized, he had faith through the trial that God is God and that he would be glorified no matter what happened to him in his life. For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. There's some amazing similarities between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus. It's because of jealousy that they planned to kill him. He's falsely accused but he faithfully trusts God and endures it all so that through him the lives of many would be saved. Joseph, through the famine, Jesus, from our sins, that through his suffering that many would be saved. And then even for Joseph, for Jesus as well, even for those who were saved, who are saved, who are being saved, there's still that time of testing. There was that 400 years of, of the Israelites being captives in, e in Egypt. There was still a time of waiting before they entered into the promised land, that they could enter into that promise fully that God had, had promised them. And for us as believers, we know that Jesus died to set us free from the power of sin, but there's still a time of testing. There's a time of struggle in this life, even though that we know our sins have been washed away, but there's a time of waiting until we enter into eternal life with Jesus. And it will be so wonderful. And there will be no more tears or sorrow or pain or crying. Thank you, Lord. I wonder this morning, do we see... God's plan for us? Do we see how God is moving in and through our lives? Do we acknowledge that God is the one who is sovereign over all the events and circumstances of our life? Do we recognize that day by day as we go about our day, it's God who is the one who is God over all these things. He is so, 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 so big. He knows it all. He knows the choices we're going to make tomorrow. Just on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday, whenever it was this week, I was outside 
working on my message and I, I was sitting beside this little bush and it had these little bits of dew on it and there's these little tiny drops of water on these leaves and I'm looking at these leaves and, and the sun's shining on them again too. I love water. When the light shines on the water, it's just beautiful. There's got to be some analogy there. Anyway, I haven't figured it out. And I'm just looking at these little tiny dew drops on these leaves and going, wow. Have you ever looked at just those tiny drops when the light's shining on them and it's just beautiful and I look at this tree and it's just covered in them. And God knows every one of those drops are there. He, he, he holds all creation together. He, he, he puts the dew drops on the leaves every morning around the planet. He knows it all. And He is sovereign over your life. He is sovereign over the events that are occurring in your life. Do we see God's plan for us? I've got to be honest, it's a struggle sometimes. It's a struggle to maintain that focus, to, to maintain that perspective that it's God who has a plan for us. It's Him that is going to bring those dreams to destiny as we trust in Him. We talked about the first week that it's not fate. It's not the, the un, unchangeable future that God has for us. We have to work with God. We have to agree and, and, and be, be accepting of his, the choices He's calling us to make. But do we see that it's God who has a plan for us? Do we see that He has positioned us for this day? Do we see that it's God who has positioned us in this life, that it's the circumstances that He's allowed that give you the testimony that you have? Do we see that it's God who has positioned us, who has formed us, and that everything we have is a gift from Him? That everything we have is, is that we might live for His glory. That we have opportunity that no other person on this planet has because you are you that God is, who has, you are you that God has created. Do we see God's plan for us? I think this is my, my, my motto verse for this series. I wrote it down at the beginning of the series before we started it. And I pray that we understand the truth of it. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Do you know God's purpose for you? God's purpose for you is that you would be for His glory. Are you living for His purpose? Who, do you know the purpose that God has called you for? This morning, maybe today is your, your first time here at CFC, you're a visitor maybe this morning. I want to tell you this morning that you have been made for God's glory and that's His purpose for you. His desire for you is that you would be for His glory. And everything God is going to cause, God is causing everything to work together for the good of those who love God and accord according to His purpose for them. God is so, so big. We may not see it, we may not recognize it, we may not understand it, but God is able to use all things for His glory. He is at work. Everything we have is a gift from Him, and it's because of His grace. I wonder this morning, how's our attitude? How's our attitude to God's plan? Because let's be honest, it's, that's the hard part, isn't it? 
How's our attitude to God's plan? I'm going to ask the band if they just come up. How's our attitude to God's plan? Do we joyfully recognize day by day that God, I thank you that you are so, so big. That God, you love me. That your grace is for me. That Jesus, you died for me. And nothing in all creation, nothing in heaven and on earth can ever separate me from your love. You have a plan, you have a purpose for my life, and I thank you, Jesus, that nothing can stop that plan from being brought to fulfillment. It's in your hands. We can have joy, we can have peace in those thoughts. I wonder if we could look back, if we could look back in 20, 30, 40 years' time, maybe 10 years' time, um, maybe 60 years' time if you're young enough, I wonder if we can look back on our lives in, in that period of time later. Or maybe even in 100 or 200 or 400 years later. I wonder if we could look back at our lives, if we could look at the context of things going on in our, our lives, in the world around us. I wonder if we could look back and see what God was doing, what God was planning, the things that He was getting ready, the things that He was forming for His glory what advice we would give ourselves today as we see the future that God intends. I wonder what wisdom He'd say, or what wisdom we'd say to ourselves if we could go forward in time and see what God's doing and then go back to ourselves and say, it's okay, it's okay because this is going to happen and God's got this under control and He knows about that and you don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I wonder what we would say to ourselves if we could see just a glimpse, maybe even 12 months, maybe even a week ahead of time. We say, it's okay. God is big. He is so much bigger. He is so much bigger than our circumstances. He has a plan. Are we willing to give Him the credit that He deserves? Can we stand this morning? Thank you, Jesus. God, I thank You for Your plans. God, we thank You that You are the sovereign God of the universe. Lord Jesus, You spoke and the world came into being. Lord Jesus, You formed us in our mother's womb. You knew us before the foundation of the world. Lord, Ephesians 2 tells us that, that we have been formed, we are new creations in Christ, created to do the good works you've planned for us long ago. God, we thank you that your word tells us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper. Lord God, we thank you for Romans that tells us that you cause everything to work together for the good of those who love us. We thank you, Lord, that everything we have is a gift from you. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to worry. God, give us your perspective, I pray. God, help us to see your bigness, your amazing grace, your enabling power and your love for us. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would help us to have an attitude of surrender to have an attitude of worship that we would day by day lift our hands and say, God, I am yours. I cannot do this, God, but you are able. Lord Jesus, this morning, we want to just surrender to you right now. I just want to encourage you to 
to yourself right now, just to surrender to Him. Maybe there's particular circumstances that you need to surrender and say, God, I don't understand it, but I trust that you are able to work through this, that through this you would be glorified. That, Lord, even through our sufferings, as Joseph suffered, as Jesus, as you suffered, that through the seed of that suffering, a great harvest would come for your glory, God. Lord Jesus, this church, that CFC, that just as a seed, we would allow ourselves to be crucified with Christ. That it would no longer be us who lives, but it would be Christ who lives in us. That we would be the aroma of Christ on this earth. Lord, whether it's in Colac, whether it's in Timboon or Tarang or Cobden or Warnable or Geelong or anywhere in the state or the Philippines or, or Russia or Turkey or Lebanon or whatever country you might take us to, God. That, Lord Jesus, we would surrender and simply trust in your sovereignty, in your goodness, and that you are able. God, we just thank you for your grace. We give ourselves to you this morning. We surrender. And we just praise you and we thank you for your plans that you will outwork on this earth. Lord, we pray for those who are struggling today. We pray for our friends, our neighbours, those we know that do not yet know you. And Lord Jesus, we pray that they might come to know the hope we have in you. Use us, we pray, for your glory. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing this song called Stronger. He's bigger. He's stronger. He's more able than we would ever know. Jesus has broken our shame. He is faithful through everything, in everything, and everything we have is a gift from Him. Let's sing and let's give glory to God this morning. If you've got a prayer request, you might like to write it down in your care card. You might like to come forward and, and we'll pray for you. We'd love to pray with people if anyone was wanting prayer this morning. If you've got a care card, if you've got some thought you want to just talk about, just put on your care card as we, that's going to be taken up in just a moment. But let's give glory to God for He is worthy. Amen. Amen.